Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 472. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we're going to talk about why you should hold during stock market meltdowns. And this is kind of a follow-up to the last podcast I did, which was two podcasts ago, called Preparing for the Next Stock Market Crisis. And I wrote about that and podcasted about that because it's so important to know how to be a good investor and what to do when you have extreme volatile situations. Because as an investor, you're going to have that. It's just a part of investing. You're going to have high highs and you're going to have low lows. But let me tell you something really exciting that happened yesterday. I knew there was an excerpt from my book that was going to be published on a website called nextavenue.org, which is the public broadcasting system or PBS website. And I was very excited for that, very appreciative for that. And they published my article, What to Do After a Stock Market Crash. But what I didn't know is that Forbes.com would then pick up that reprint from my book and put it on their website. So yesterday I was also on the Forbes.com website, which was really great. That was my second time on their website and it is a thrill, let me tell you, unlike any other to be published by a classic like Forbes, which I've always respected and have been a subscriber of and have been an avid reader of for many years. So that was exciting. So I just wanted to share that with you. And if you want to see that article in Forbes.com or nextavenue.com, you can search for what to do after a stock market crash, or you can go to my social media pages, my Linda P. Jones fan page on Facebook or my Twitter account at Linda P. Jones. And I've posted links there that can take you to those articles. Or of course, you could just pick up a copy of my book, You're Already a Wealth Heiress, Now Think and Act Like One, Six Practical Steps to Make It a Reality Now, and you'll have that article. Anyway, I wanted to continue on with talking about what to do when there is a stock market meltdown, because we've had so much volatility in the markets lately, and people are strangely complacent about it. It's almost like they don't think another steep correction could happen again, like 2007 or 2008, which is kind of strange to me because what is really apparent is that that problem hasn't been fixed yet. Uh, Everything that existed prior to that crash in 2007 and 2008 still exists. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if you had a credit card and you maxed out your credit card and it caused a cash crunch in your life and there was a major crisis. That's kind of like the 2007, 2008 crisis. And then it was solved by the credit card company extending your credit line and giving you an additional $100,000 line of credit. 
you haven't fixed the problem, you haven't paid off the debt, all you've done is add more debt and extend the same problem to kick the can down the road, if you will, to be solved at a later time. So that's exactly what the crisis of 2007, 2008 did, was it just kicked the can down the road. And here we are closer to the end of that road and we have the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, which is exactly what popped the bubble in the first place. So it's like they wanna pop the bubble again. They wanna pop the housing market bubble, they wanna pop the stock market by raising rates on treasury bonds and having interest rates rise quickly in the financial markets, that does take a toll on the stock market. And that is what is causing some of this volatility in the stock market are quickly rising rates. I'm gonna share with you an article from Investors Business Daily written by Paul Katzev that was called, Ready Your Portfolio for the Next Meltdown. And it was written because of the 10th anniversary of the 2008 meltdown and it actually was published in September but the statistics that they quoted in here are still very pertinent and I wanted to share them with you because it really is great information for you to have a firm handle on, have a firm grip on this because I promise there will come a day when you are challenged and want to panic and sell your portfolio and whether you come back to this podcast and listen to it or whether you just remember what I'm telling you, I hope that this has an impact because I think selling at the bottom is one of the biggest mistakes that people can make. And so this article says, studies repeatedly show that individual mutual fund investors rarely, if ever, get out of the market near its top. And they rarely, if ever, get back into the market at its bottom. First, I wanna say it applies to any investment, whether it's individual stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, doesn't matter, it applies to every investment. And number two, what they're saying is true because you'd have to be right twice. You'd have to sell at the top and you'd have to buy at the very bottom. And that's nearly impossible to do, even for professionals, even for the wealthiest people that have made their fortunes in stocks, they don't get it right. So that's nearly impossible to do. So the article continues on to say, instead, time and again, they end up selling low, then buying high after missing the often explosive start to a rally. And markets have recovered from every downturn, T. Rowe Price, senior financial planner Stuart Ritter says in a new study. Every 15 calendar year period since 1926, stocks have notched positive gains, he says. Okay, I want to stop there and just say, so what he's saying is if you look at 15-year rolling periods since 1926, if you held for 15 years, you would have a positive rate of return, even from the terrible stock market crash of 1929. So the key there he's pointing out is that a 15 year holding period is a very significant period in history because you've always had positive returns if you've held for 15 years. The article goes on to say, if you try to time the market with your long-term mutual funds, you're likely to miss the best days in the market, the typically unpredictable start of a new bull run. I want to pause there and say, if you're not familiar with lingo, a bull run or a bull market is a market going up, a bear market is a market going down. The article goes on to say, then your total return suffers. Look what happened if you had invested $10,000 in the S&P 500 between January 1st of 1998 and last December 29th. 
If you stayed put, remaining fully invested through the market's ups and downs, your average annual return was 7.2%. Your nest egg would have ballooned into $40,135. So I just wanna pause there and say, that's four times your initial investment when you had the crazy, terrible 2007 and eight stock market crisis right in, in there. So even through that, when the S&P was down 38% in 2008, you still had an average annual return of 7.2%. Now consider that a lot of during this time, interest rates were at 0% after 2007 and eight. They were lowered to basically 0% and you were not able to earn nearly anything on that in any competitive marketplace. So not on a CD, not in treasuries, not in anything. So getting 7.2% was an enormous return and an enormous differential from the competitive instruments that you had to choose from to invest in. But my point is just holding through even a very big crisis from our lifetimes would have still netted you 7.2%, a very, very attractive return for wealth building. The article goes on to say, but if you got cold feet and pulled out, what then? If you didn't get back in soon enough to benefit from rallies after various pullbacks, and you missed just the 10 best market days during that 20 year span, your average yearly return got slashed by more than half to just 3.53%, JP Morgan Asset Management calculates. Your end balance would have been a far more modest $20,030. So I wanna pause there and say, they make a great point. If you miss just the 10 best market days during that 20 years, your return would have been slashed by half. Powerful point. And then it goes on to say, if you miss the 40 best market days, your return would have shrunk to a 2.8% loss, reducing your $10,000 to $5,669. So again, I'll pause and say, okay, if you just sat out in cash for 40 of the best days, you missed the 40 best market days. In other words, the days that the market was up the most, the highest percentage between that January of 1998 and December 29th of 2017 time horizon, your return would have been a loss of 2.8% for just 40 days, just missing 40 of the best days. And instead of four times your money, you would have back almost just half your money. That $10,000 would have reduced to 5,669. And then it goes on to say, and it's all too easy to miss the best days. Six of the best 10 market days occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days between 1998 and 2017, JP Morgan notes. The best day of 2015 was August 26th, just two days after the worst day, August 24th. But once a rally begins, it's only human nature to wait for some sign that the rebound is for real and not just some dead cat bounce. Staying on the sidelines like that, you miss some days with the juiciest returns. End of article. So yes, often the very best days, the very best up percentage moves come within days of a market bottom. We call that a dead cat bounce. <laughs> kind of a crazy term, but when the market declines sharply, it often 
reverses and goes up sharply. So people panic on the downside and they sell. And then there's what we call capitulation, where at the very bottom, everybody throws in the towel, they feel the most despair, they're the most scared. And then boom, the market turns around and reverses and goes up a lot. And that is very common in stock market investing. So if you panicked at the bottom, you missed out on that three or 5% return on the bounce, on the dead cat bounce. So you don't wanna do that. You wanna just hang in there as painful as it is, as much as you wanna stop the pain and get out and protect yourself, it's the worst thing to do because you're gonna miss the bounce, you're going to not know when to get back in, then usually when people feel there's some safety to get back in, they're getting back in at another high and only to have the same thing happen to them again, where you then have a steep decline, they panic, they go to cash, the market rebounds, they miss it. The same cycle happens over and over. So the only way to avoid that is to stay 100% invested. And as scary as that is, it is your best choice of actions to take is to do nothing because you want that rebound. You want the market to get back to compounding again. And remember what's driving the stock market are profits. As long as the American economy is strong, as long as people are spending money, as long as people have jobs, the market will rebound because those companies will continue to make sales and profits and continue to, you know, hopefully post gains in their business and that will make their stock go up. So if you understand that as long as, you know, something hasn't happened where, you know, where a nuclear bomb didn't go off or something that eliminated a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of companies and jobs, God forbid, but that would change the whole scope of the market. But if the market just declined because of some problem with mortgages or some problem with interest rates, these things are temporary things that are going to right themselves. And eventually, as long as corporations can continue to sell their wares and their services, they're going to have profits and they're going to come back and they're going to have their stock prices rise to new highs. So that's the kind of thing to keep logically in your mind is what's really driving the stock market. And it's, I always say, increasing profits at an increasing rate is what drives the best stocks in the market. Those are the things that you wanna look for. And yes, you can reduce your risk and your risk of fluctuation, your risk of volatility, your risk of loss, but that's done in the tweaking of your asset allocation model. Because if you are taking too much risk for your age, for example, as you get older, you wanna take less risk. As you get closer to retirement, you wanna lessen your risk. You don't wanna keep it all on red on the roulette wheel when you're retiring in a couple years. So where you reduce your risk is in your asset allocation model you would have less of your portfolio invested in stocks and you would have more of your investment portfolio invested in either cash or short-term bonds, something that doesn't have a lot of market risk. So that's where you tweak the risk is in the asset allocation model. However, if you have more than 15 years to retirement, 
you want to have a healthy portion in stocks because that's where you're going to get your highest compounding. So it's a fine line. You want to have your foot on the gas for as long as you need to compound at a high rate. And then as you get closer to retirement, you want to start easing your foot off the gas pedal. And you do that by tweaking your asset allocation and putting more toward cash or short-term bonds, something less risky, less volatile. So if we do have, God forbid, some kind of another big downturn, you don't have everything in stocks. So that's how you adjust the risk is in your asset allocation model. Again, I spell this all out in my book, You're Already a Wealth Heiress, Now Think and Act Like One, Six Practical Steps to Make It a Reality Now. I'll leave a link in the show notes and on my website if you want to pick up a copy. I explain more about how to get started investing in the stock market, what to do in these kinds of situations, how to tweak your asset allocation. All of that is in my book, along with a wealth checklist, your millionaire map on overcoming any obstacle you have to building wealth. And if we haven't yet connected on Instagram, please get my daily tips on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash Linda P. Jones. And please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I love to hear from you. That's all for today. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.